There was a family who had a child. They went to the hospital and this child was born. And as they were in there in the hospital, many came to visit the family and they looked after them and they nurtured this child. They took care of it. They fed it. It was able to respond to the mother's affection. It was able to respond to the family there. But after about three days, when they were dismissed from the hospital and the new and the novel had worn off, they went home. So because the attention was no longer there, the mother took the child and placed them in the crib and pretty much left them there, only taking them out occasionally to feed it from time to time and maybe to change it if she thought it was appropriate but then ultimately leaving that child in the crib for the duration of its life. It's no wonder that that child passed away. When the autopsy was done, it came back that that child failed to thrive. We might see this idea of failure to thrive with newborns and infants that are neglected. And that's always stuck with me. There's been several studies that have been done that have shown that there is a direct correlation between the love that an individual receives the care and the attention that an individual receives, and their ability to grow and to thrive in their environment. But I can't think about that without thinking about the new Christian, the babe in Christ. I see this child who is born, they they become a Christian, they're baptized into Christ, and they have this zeal. They're excited about what it means to be God's child. Their whole life, They've wanted to know what the meaning was for their life, and now they finally have it. And so they go and they attach themselves to the local congregation, and they're left in the crib, as in some people say, left out to air dry. And so the zeal that was there begins to die. The zeal that was there begins to wane because that fire in that group is not stoked. They're neglected. They're left in the crib, there is a failure to thrive, and then ultimately they die. Where does zeal come from? And how zealous are we for God? I think about all the passages in the Bible that talk about zeal for God, a love for God, a desire to serve Him in everything we do. We might go back to our own conversion and think about how on fire we were for God, and that metaphor cannot be overstated, but how on fire we were for God. And then when compared with where we are now, we get used to the idea that we are the elect of God. We might get used to the things that we do as the body of Christ. It it might be so ingrained within us that we never ever give it a second thought. And what happens? We begin to take it for granted. And the zeal dies And then those new converts that come in that need the fire of the church, of the body, to stay warm, to stay alive, are neglected. Because, well, I can survive without all of that. They don't necessarily have to have it. I heard one individual say to me that if they needed people to continue in their walk with God, then they were too weak and needed to quit. Brethren, this is coming from an elder in the Lord's church. Where does this kind of attitude come from? And where does our zeal go? I want us to talk tonight a little bit about zeal, about our love for God, and maybe stoking that flame again and finding it, nourishing it back to health. How do we do that? I want us to begin tonight in John chapter 2. 
If you have your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to open them to John chapter 2. One of my favorite passages is about the Lord, but really beginning in verse 13, the text there tells us, John 2 and verse 13, And the Jews' Passover was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. Stop right there. One of the things that the Jews had erected around the temple, if we look at the second temple period and Herodians or or Herod's temple mount, what you'll see is Solomon's portico all the way around it. It's basically this covered porch-like area where individuals would set up tables and they would sell the sacrifices for the temple. So individuals who had traveled from a long way off and did not bring their own sacrifices could purchase their sacrifices there with money. There were also money changers there, as the text tells us here in John 2, that would exchange foreign currency. But there was an opportunity here for these people to make some money. And so what they began to do was charge people inordinate amounts for the sacrifices that they knew they needed to go in and sacrifice to God, the requirements. And so the poor were taken to the cleaners, as it were, for two turtle doves. And we think about the money changers there. There was always a fee. Do you all love that fee that comes up on the ATM? Your thought is, but that's my money, Right? So there was always a fee to change the money, and these individuals would sit in there and they would take advantage of their own brethren for profit. So that's what's going on. That's what Jesus is seeing. And when He had made a scourge of small cords, think about this, the Christ comes in the temple, He sees all this going on, and apparently what He does is He sits down and gets to braid a whip. He's preparing to do something. He made a scourge of small cords. And drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thy house has consumed me, or in the King James, has eaten me up. The idea that we could be zealous for God in such a way to act out with righteous indignation Where is that in the temperament of God's people? Where is the outspoken condemnation of those things that are wrong that we see people do? And we think, well, I better not say anything. You know, I just, I don't want to be singled out. And I'm talking about amongst ourselves. Where's the integrity for us to go to each other and to call those things out, to visit with each other if we have ought against each other? Where's the integrity to do those things? Where's the zeal for God and His church? We look at this, and what he beheld caused him to braid this whip and take an active stance in driving people out of the household of God. We think about this idea of zeal. It is that idea of great energy or enthusiasm for a certain cause or an objective that forces us, almost compels us to do those things that are necessary. Where is ours? You see, Christ was pursuing the aim of setting things right, or at least the way He knew they ought to be. Changing the status quo in the temple. What do we need to do, and where is our zeal to change the status quo? How long have we been riding along the checkmark Christianity? How long have we been riding along just the going along and 
lost the zeal for God. I wonder because I know often sometimes in my life I look back and wonder where is that same fervor that was there? And why or how did it die? I'm convinced that when the Lord's people are around each other and can edify and build each other up, we can do more for an encouraging zeal than anything else. There's a reason why God wanted His people together. How do we get the zeal back? First off, zeal must be nurtured. There's got to be within each one of us that germinating belief that leads to a full-fledged zeal for the God of heaven and Christian living. It's got to start somewhere. And then as it grows, as it's nurtured, it turns into this fire, this flame that cannot be quenched. What if Jesus' zeal for God and His service to Him, He allowed to be put out? Where would that leave us? What if He just said, well, I'm not going to go through. I'm not zealous enough to save them. Uh, Where's those angels again? What if He would have done that? That would have left us in a very precarious situation. If we're to be like Christ, then that means we need to put on the same attitude of zeal for God. Zeal, the psalmist would say in Psalm 69, or 69.9, zeal for thy father's house has consumed me. It is that complete and filling motivation that drives us to action. Hebrews 10.24, the Hebrews writer would there tell us, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. You think about this passage there by the Hebrews writer and what he's telling us. He's telling us we ought to be provoking people. In a good way, by the way. I don't mean that negatively, but God wants us to provoke but to provoke unto love and good works that zeal that was there at the beginning of our Christian walk ought to be stirred into a flame again so that we can have that same relationship that we had before. We also ought to remember that the church is a nursery for Christians to help them be zealous for the cause of Christ. As these individuals are converted, as they come into the body, it's imperative of God's people to take them to bring them along, to encourage them, to show them the love that they need to have so that that zeal doesn't die and they won't fail to thrive, but they'll be successful in their walk with God. Titus 2 and verse 14, the Bible tells us, "...who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people." And note what He says, "...zealous of good works." Zealous of good works. That person who always wants to go out and do those things for others. Have you known that person that comes to you and says, hey, what can we do for these people? I know that they've got this going on. Are you the person that says, well, hey, I want to join you. I want to go do that. Or are you the person that says, well, I don't have time for that. Where are we? And where is the zeal that we had when we responded to the gospel initially? You see, one does not always immediately have great energy and enthusiasm for their Christian walk when they come up out of the baptistry. They know that that's what they need to do to be right with God. And so they've responded. They joy over that decision. And sometimes there's some difficulty for them getting off the ground, so to speak, in their flight. 
But then what happens? They realize the gravity of what they've done and that zeal sets in and they're excited about their walk with God. And so now there is a desire for them to do right. And how do we cultivate that zeal within each one of those? How do we make people enthusiastic about the cause of Christ? How do and how does someone make you enthusiastic about the cause of Christ? And I'm going to get personal tonight a little bit, maybe. But when was the last time you yourself were enthusiastic about your Christian walk? I mean, really enthusiastic, on fire, were so glad that you were a child of God and could not wait to open your Bible, to study, to grow, couldn't wait to be at worship with the brethren, couldn't wait to be at any of the things that the brethren did together. Where's that person? Because that's the zeal that we should exhibit. And so oftentimes we can let it die because the cares of the world overtake our focus on God. This year has been one for the records books, that is, cares of the world that have served to point us to God in many ways, but at the same time might have discouraged us also in several ways. But Christians must help new babes in Christ to cultivate that zeal. And guess what? Christians got to help each other cultivate that zeal. When we see each other struggling, stumbling, falling, slipping away, making statements like, I don't really feel like going to services. Have you ever said that before in your life? Nobody said that before in their life. Every one of us have. When we begin to say it repeatedly though, when we begin to say it more and more, we say it to our friends, maybe our brothers or sisters in Christ, maybe we disappear for a month or so. Those are signs of concern. We ought to be a people that reach out and strive to fan that flame again and help them come back to God and to remember their first love. I think about coals and and spent a lot of time growing up in the mountains and a lot of time around a campfire. And one of the things I loved to do was reach my stick in there. You've got to have a stick, by the way, when you're sitting around a campfire. You've got to. But you reach your stick in there and you get that ember that's glowing red hot and you pull it out of the fire. And you move it just far enough away that that glow, it'll glow for a while, but then you'll watch it just kind of die and go into a black coal. And what do you do after that? You take your stick and you work it back in under the logs and watch it brighten up again and get bright. A man could derive a great deal of pleasure sitting there for hours on end playing with hot coals. But there's a lesson there. Whenever we are away from the body, whenever we are away from the Word, guess what? That fire will die. That's a statement of fact. God intended us to be together, to keep each other zealous for good works, to keep each other pointed toward heaven and have the right motive and attitude for living. I think about that often when it comes to zeal and how that fire has to be stoked and flamed. It's part of a bigger picture. You see, every one of us are part of the body here, but even the body at large, the church that is the bride of Christ. We ought to be on fire for those things. Secondly, zeal must be educated. 
Paul's zeal was educated, and you can have a zeal that is wrong, that is sincere, but sincerely wrong. In Acts chapter 9, we talked a little bit about that this morning, the road to Damascus, but Saul was on his way to persecute the church. He was zealous for what he thought God's standard was for conduct. He's going to go round up these blasphemers and bring them back to Jerusalem and make sure that they're punished for what they are doing. But his zeal was uninformed. It was ignorant. He didn't follow after Christ. So the Lord Himself appeared to him to set things right. And after he realized that, he realized that he had a zeal for God, but only it was in the wrong focus or function. Do you know those people who are zealous, they want to get out there and do things, and yet their zeal is uneducated? I knew of a person that wanted to uh, help the Lord's church, and so they, were going to de- they decided that they were going to raise money, which the only way to raise money in the Lord's church is through giving. But they decided that they wanted to go out and sell things and, and do all this, which was absolutely antithetical to what the church was doing. And what the church was intended to do, in fact, it brought a reproach upon the name of Christ because of what they wanted to sell at the fair. It was a beverage, but it wasn't a good one. They were zealous for God, but very, very misguided and misinformed. So, education, we have to educate and inform the zeal so that we can redirect it in positive, productive ways. I know a lot of people who respond to the gospel and come into the church and, hey, we don't have a band yet. Can I play in the band? Well, there's a reason we don't have a band, and here's why. And so we have to explain some of those things, but again, redirect that zeal for them so that they can place it in the right way. They can be productive parts of the body of Christ. Galatians 1 and verse 13, Paul says, For you have heard of my conversion in time past, or conversation rather in time past, in the Jews' religion, and I love how he couches that, in the Jews' religion, because by this time it was no longer the religion of God, but the Jews' religion how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. We think about Paul being zealous for the things that he knew. But that was what he knew, and so he was zealous for it. God could use Paul because Paul was sincere when he was educated and taught He was zealous for the right things. But that zeal that we have for God has got to be educated in the right pursuit. In Acts 22 and verse 3, Paul would say, I am truly a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as you are all this day. So even in the traditions, Paul was incredibly zealous We might look at Galatians 1 and verse 14 again. He was zealous, exceedingly zealous of the traditions of his fathers. I know those people that are brought up in religion, but not in Christianity. And so they have this view toward God that's inconsistent with what the Bible is, and they want to get out there and teach it. And oftentimes it's wrong. And we think about Priscilla and Aquila who took Apollos aside, who in fact was mighty in the Scriptures, the Bible tells us. But Priscilla and Aquila took him aside and taught him, as the Bible tells us, a more perfect way, helping him refocus that zeal for the maximum effort and benefit of the church. Our zeal needs to be educated. 
We need to understand where we are to focus those efforts. See, the Jews were zealous for God, but not informed as to the right pursuits or aims. In Romans 10 and verse 1, Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. What's he telling the Roman brethren there? Look, even my own kinsfolk had a zeal for God. I was there. I know exactly what they think. But it's not according to knowledge. It's misinformed. How many people today have a zeal that is uneducated? You know those people in the religious world who you think if only you could sit down with the Bible and they would respond to the Gospel. I mean, they have that pure of a heart and a motive. They, they want to do those things that are good. They're sincere. And when you speak to them, they always enjoy having a Bible discussion. Do you know those people? If only we could sit down with the Bible and show them a more perfect way. We could help them with their zeal for God and bring them to where they need to be. But what about our own brothers and sisters? What about when a zeal is misplaced or misguided? How do we entreat one another? Is there a way that we go to them, sit down with the Word of God, gently, tenderly show them the truth as it is in Christ, and bring them along? I believe there is. Matthew 7 and verse 24, Jesus is talking about those that are uneducated, but He says, Not everyone that says to Me, Lord, Lord, shall inherit the kingdom of heaven or enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of My Father who is in heaven. Many will say to Me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name, and in Your name cast out demons, and in Your name do many wonderful works? And I will say unto them, Depart from Me, you who work lawlessness. I never knew you. These are those people that are sincere in their efforts, but their efforts are misplaced. They're misguided. They say, we've done all of these wonderful things, but they've done them for the wrong reason. They're ultimately outside the scope of the saving blood of Christ. They've not responded to the Gospel. And so he says, depart from me, you who work lawlessness, I never knew you. They have a zeal, that religious group that has a zeal, but that zeal is uneducated. Zeal must be directed. But how do we direct a feeling or intensity? We've got to have the right direction so that zeal can accomplish the deeds that the church is tasked with. When we look at the captives who returned to Israel after the captivity in Babylon, the people had a mind to work. As Nehemiah goes and he begins to build the walls around Jerusalem, I love what the text tells us about them as they are building with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. The Bible tells us that the people had a mind to work. They had a zeal for the work that was set before them and they were going to do it and they were not going to let anything stop them. The true zealous child of God will not let anything get in their way when it comes to the work that is placed before them. Every one of us has a job to do. Every one of us has a unique group of people that we know that we can influence for good in our lives. Are we going to let others inhibit us from doing what we know is right? Are we going to let statements or comments that are made inhibit us from doing those things that are right? Because when we direct the zeal in the right way, put it in the right effort, guess what the church can be? Be a light, as Jesus says. 
Matthew chapter 5. It will be that light that the world will see. And people will want to know what it is that you have that makes you different. You ever met those people that are super excited maybe about a sport? We call them super fans, right? And they just, I mean, whenever you're around them, that's all they talk about is that one team. You know those people? Wes was with the Dallas Cowboys, so can't really get through a conversation without talking about them. But he's a super fan in that respect. He loves the Cowboys. And you think about all they do is talk about this. Where's our love for God? And does it show through in our conversations with those that are in the world? Because if they don't see that, then they're not going to believe that we do have a love for God. I mean, they might see that, oh, we're good people. But what makes us different? How is that zeal directed? You see, the early church was told in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 12, Even so ye, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel, and note what he says, to the edifying of the church. When we build the body of Christ up, then it becomes that light that others will see and want to be a part of. And we ought to be zealous of good works. Revelation 3 and verse 19, Be zealous therefore and repent. And so the Revelation writer there in speaking to the church is telling them to be zealous for God and to repent of those things that would hinder us in our walk. And if we do these things with zeal, if it's educated, if it's directed, if it's sincere and it's correct, then guess what? Zeal will be contagious. You know those people who come in and start laughing and then by the time they've been there two or three minutes, the whole room is laughing? Because that's just their personality. That's how zeal is. When you've got somebody who's on fire for the work of the church, they come in and they light everyone else up and motivate people to work, to action. And if we are contagious with our zeal, it will spread and it will show. It's one of those things that once it sets in, it seems to be unstoppable. The fervor that can grow within a group is powerful. It might have witness the negative fervor that grows in rioting and things of that nature. But what about when those things are positive and pointed toward a goal and an objective for the Lord's church? What can the church succeed in? You see, when we can direct our intensities to those things that profit and be zealous for God in all of our pursuits, then the church cannot help but to grow. 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 8, the Bible there would tell us, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, your faith to Godward is spread abroad, and so that we need not testify or speak anything concerning you. Think about the reputation that the church in Thessalonica had in their love for God, their zeal for God and desire to serve Him. That can be us. And I know that we're involved in a lot of works. We've got a lot of things going, and I'm super proud to be a part of the congregation here at Forest Park and what we do have going on. But can we do more? Can we do more? I believe that we can. See, the zeal for God's house, that is the church, should consume us so that we nurture the zeal that resides in others, that we encourage and edify one another, and ultimately, we build each other up in the church for the sole purpose of reaching out to a lost and dying world. I pray that we strive to consider and to continue in our walk with God faithfully. Don't let that fire die. 
if you feel like that fire is beginning to wane, I want you and I want to encourage you tonight not to let it die. Renew your love for God again tonight. Renew your convictions in who He is. Go back and do the first things that you did when you became a child of God. Remember your first love. If you've not responded to the Gospel, if you've not put Christ on an immersion tonight, if you've not become that child of God, I want to encourage you to do that tonight if you have that need so that you can be immersed for the remission of your sins, raised to walk in a new life, and have the joy that comes of knowing that eternity awaits you. If you have any need tonight, won't you come as we stand and sing our song of encouragement?